You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Well, it's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning on the Lord's Day as we come and, and worship God and as we come and celebrate what he's done for us in Christ. Um, these days are special. These days are really special. Um, the psalm that uh, we're going to be looking at together this morning um, is Psalm 33. Um, before we get there, let me, let, me just, uh, let me just pray for us this morning. Father, we come before you this day. This day that you have commanded us to set aside to come into direct communion with you. This day that we gather and assemble with one another, they're powerful and they're special and they're unique and help us, O Lord, to treasure these days more. We do pray for, I pray for for this message and we pray that your word would go forth, that it would encourage your people who are here this morning and that you would call some, you'd call some to repentance and faith in Christ this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have Bibles um, with you, open them up to Psalm 33, uh, or it'll be on the screen behind us here. And, And before we really read this Psalm 33, I want us to just pause and reflect very quickly and remember that this is God's word to us. This is God's word to us. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord... The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came into be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. When we read scripture Every Sunday, I almost just want to close the Bible and say amen. 
Um, and I pray this morning that the words that I'm going to say from you are, are from God's word. And everything that is not from his word would be removed from your minds and your hearts. Like This word is sufficient for us. It is. It's, it's what we need and, and we need to treasure it more. This psalm is, is really unique and powerful because it's calling all of humanity into worship. This psalm is calling all the earth into worship of this one true God. This psalm is particularly in verses one through three, calling God's people into worship. But we see in verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him that, that the psalmist and God wants all the earth to come and worship him. We have a call to worship this morning, brothers and sisters. Before we get into the, the meat of Psalm 33, I want us to reflect upon a question. And that question is, how do you define worship? Or what do you understand worship to be? So if someone was asking in your workplace, hey, can you define worship for me? What would you respond with? Or if someone came up to you on the street and said, hey, can you define worship really, really quick? I know you guys go to church and you're, you sort of claim the name of Christ, but what is worship? If I was to give you a pen and paper and, and you were to write that response down, what would it be? I'm sure most of you guys' response would be probably really unique to your own circumstances, but there would be some common trends among, amongst those responses. Some of those would be, well, church. Sort of church is my way that I, I worship. Or maybe it's not as spiritual as that, and maybe you'd say, well, I, I experience worship when I go out in nature, when I'm fishing or hiking. And uh, those, those things aren't, I, I'm not asking you the question so I can correct your definition of worship. That's not my point. I just think God is calling us into something much more significant and much more greater than those particular things we might view worship to be. In a passage that I think really captures the heart of worship in its entirety is found in Romans 12. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, uh, just open up to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, as we, we look at, I think, the, the best and strongest biblical understanding of true worship. As God is calling us into worship from Psalm 33, I, I want to sort of set the stage right. I want us to understand what God intends for us, what this worship looks like. It's very important, right? It's very important that we understand what, what God means to be when he says, I want you to worship. He's calling us into worship. So Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I think really capture the heart of worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. It could be better said brothers and sisters, but by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some other translation actually used the word true worship, which is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The kind of worship that God calls us into is a worship of, of, of with our lives. We're to come to him and give our lives to him. And Paul and God is even goes as far as to say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like, I belong to you, God. I'm laying my life down for you. 
I'm not just giving you some change, some spare change that I find in my, in, in my, in my pocket or in the couch. God wants it all. And that's what this psalm is calling us into. A true worship, a worship with, of, with our lives. That's what God want, intends for us and how God intends for us to understand worship. Not just attending church on Sunday and checking your worship box. God wants our lives. So let's look at Psalm 33 here. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalmist is calling God's people into worship. Particularly, he's calling them into a worship that is expressive with their mouths and with music. But we know that that's not the only way we worship God. God intends worship to be both inwardly and outwardly. If our external worship, if we just worship externally, then we're not truly worshiping. If we just worship with our mouths and praise God with our lips, we're not truly worshiping. God intends for both to to exist. God is calling us into a worship with our hearts and out of our hearts we express to him gladness and thankfulness and shouting. Even the psalmist goes as far as to say, hey, sing to him a new song. Not just that that same song you have memorized. Like there's just this heart God wants is calling us to lay our lives down before him and come and worship him in spirit and truth with our hearts. Sing new songs to him. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3, this call to worship. God is calling us into worship. And verses 4 through 19, the direction we're going to be heading into, verses 4 through 19, is the reason or the why of worship. Why is God worthy of our worship? Why is this God worthy of us laying down our lives before him? Why? Why? Why does he deserve it all? You might be asking yourself, That same question. Why does God deserve my life? Deserve my worship? And friends, verses 4 through 19 is going to answer that question. And I hope, my hope and prayer for you this morning is that if you're a Christian, that your heart will be brought to, once again, to all of God and who he is. And if you're not a Christian, that you would fear and tremble and fall to your face in light of this God. Verse four, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Reason number one, why is this God worthy of our worship? Because his word is right and all his work is done in faithfulness. Genesis to Revelation, this is the inerrant word of God. Everything in it is right. There's no error in it. Everything that God has said and everything that he has done is right. Verse five, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Reason number two, why is this God worthy of your worship? Why is this God worthy of your life? Is because he's righteous and he's just. There's no, there's no hint of unrighteousness in God and God is not unjust. He is perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. We're going to see a little later that he has actually created the angelic host, the angels, for the purpose of worship. And they can't help to worship. 
in light of his glory. He loves righteousness and justice. This God is righteous and he's just. And that should stir in you some fear. Because you know, if you're honest with your own self, that you know yourself to be unrighteous and unjust. And therefore, that makes you an enemy of God. That makes you incredibly in danger. Reason number two, this this God is worthy of our worship because he is righteous and he is just. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You might be asking yourself the question, uh, during a pandemic and during rioting, where is the love of God? Where is the love of God in times like this? How can the psalmist be saying the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord? And we don't have a whole lot of time to answer that question in its entirety, but I think to give you a simple response, it's twofold. I think the first response to that question is that your understanding of love is wrong. Your understanding, your definition of love is probably very cultural. Your understanding of love is probably just something fluffy and the feeling of good. And it's a worldly definition of love. It's not a biblical definition of love. The second response to that question is that I think if you're asking yourself that question that you're incredibly entitled to life. That you think you deserve life. That you think you deserve to be alive. (laughs) We don't, friends. We don't deserve to be alive. And the fact that we are still here, even though we've sinned against a holy and righteous and just God, that's that's an act of his love. That's an act of his mercy. That he would allow us still to be here We deserve hell. We deserve damnation. We deserve, as soon as we have sinned once, we deserve to be cut off from God for all eternity. But he, being a loving and merciful God, allows us to still exist, though we have went against him, though we have sinned. Reason number three. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Why is this God worthy of your worship? Because he is the creator. He's created the heavens by the breath of his mouth. (laughs) He just breathed it into existence and angels, these amazing beings. Like if you just look at the Bible and look at these powerful angels throughout scripture, like they're scary. (laughs) They're scary. And God just created them with with his breath. He's created them to worship him. He's worthy of our worship, friends, because he is creator. And we're going to see that even much more, that he's created the world and he's created the earth. In verse 8, it's really unique that the psalmist almost stops from giving the reason or the why to worshiping this God. And he just pauses really quickly in verse 8. He says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Like the psalmist just pauses and says, this God, like this ought to bring about a fear in you of this God. And let all the earth fear him. Let all the world be in awe of him because of how magnificent he is, because of how holy and great he is. And then in verse 9, he, he reiterates the fact that God is creator for he spoke and it came into be. He commanded and it stood, it stood firm. God is worthy of 
your worship and worthy of your life because he is your creator. And he's the creator of the world, creator of everything. He is worthy of your worship because he is your creator. Verse 10 is, um, is sort of humorous to me. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Like reason number five or six, whatever reason I'm on, reason to worship this God is because he is sovereign king. <laughs> he is in charge of everything. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Like, he allows them to think that they're in charge and then he crushes them. <laughs> he crushes them. And the reality is, is that if you're living your life apart from God, you might live a successful life apart from God. You might, in a worldly sense, be happy, but there's still something that you must face, and that's death. Every single one of us in this room can't avoid it. We're all going to die. And if you are not truly worshiping God, he's going to frustrate your plan on that day. And you're gonna be cut off from him from all eternity. Hell is real, friends. It exists. We don't talk about it much today, but it is a very real place. And people are going to go there apart from Christ. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. God's plans are never gonna be thwarted. They're gonna come to pass. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged this morning that what God has said in his word is going to come to fruition. Don't be afraid of everything that you see going on in the world. God is going to use it for his glory. God is going to use this pandemic for his glory. My hope is that you would see that and believe that and begin to trust once again if you're a Christian in the plans of God. Like, brothers and sisters, this world is going to be gone. Christ is going to return and when he comes, he's going to judge the world. And he's going to restore what is broken. That's the promise for us. That's the hope for us that are Christians that one day, we get to be in paradise where there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. But we aren't yet there. But look to that day and hope in that day. God's plans are going to come to pass. The Lord looks down. I'm sorry, verse 12. Reason number seven. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Like, happy, it could be said, happy is the people. Nation has there in mind people. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Like, if you claim the name of Christ and you're in and you've repented and you've believed in Jesus, you're in and happy is those people because they get to escape God's wrath. Like, God and those who aren't Christians here this morning, I want you to join in on this worship. God intends for you to be a part of his family. He intends for you to join in on this worship. And the way in which you do that is only through Christ, the one mediator between man 
in God. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. God, sovereign king, is on his throne and he's looking out at everything going on. Nothing goes unseen in his eyes. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds. This might be a troublesome verse for some of you. Does that mean that God fashions evil hearts? No. See, mankind is perfectly okay. They don't need God's help to be evil. Man is totally depraved. God doesn't intervene and help man to be evil. He doesn't fashion evil hearts. But he does fashion his people's hearts, and that's what the psalm has in mind. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds, speaking of his people. Verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. (laughs) What do we trust in? Who do we trust in? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning. Are we trusting in a great army? Are we trusting in a vaccine? Are we trusting in X, Y, or Z to be our rescuer? What are you trusting in? What is your heart trusting in? Because a great army and a great nation, they're all going to fall. What does your heart trust in? Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. At the eye of the Lord, I don't know about you, but I want the eye of the Lord to be on me. In light of everything that we just mentioned about this God who's sovereign king, who is holy and righteous, who is in charge of everything, who has plans, I I don't know about you, but I want his eyes to be on me. And the psalmist says, His eyes is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love, those who are looking to him, trusting in him. Those are are whom God's eyes are gonna be on. In verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. This is a promise from God. He's gonna deliver his people's soul from death and he's gonna keep them alive in famine. It's a promise from God. You get to escape death. You don't have to be afraid of death. Our soul, verse 20, our soul, this is really the heart of worship. So in light of this call of worship, this call of of true worship, verses four through 19, really the reason or the why to worship, verses 20 through 22 is the heart of worship. What happens to the soul or the heart that actually worships God in the way that he intends us to worship him? Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield like the soul who is trusting in God, placing his, him or her's faith in God. We're, we're trust, the heart trusts in him, trusting him to be his, their help and, and their shield. They're not trusting in, in a nation. They're not trusting in a great army. They're not trusting in anything else but God. 
And I forgot to mention earlier that all capital L-O-R-D is translated into the English as being Yahweh, the creator God, God the Father. Our soul waits for him, not anything else. We're looking to him to answer all of life's most difficult questions. We're looking to him during a pandemic. We're looking to him during rioting. We're not looking to anything else but him. And the heart the person who is truly worshiping for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Like, we're glad so we're trusting in this great name. The psalmist ends in verse 22. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. We have incredible insight that this psalmist didn't quite have. And that is the love and mercy of God displayed, who is Jesus Christ. The very love and mercy of God displayed to mankind is Jesus himself. Jesus, the God-man, came to earth to rescue sinners. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was perfectly obedient. He was perfectly righteous. He was perfectly just. lived a sinless life and he willingly went to the cross. His life was not taken from him. That's what John says. And that's what Jesus says in, in the book of John. I willingly laid down my life so that I could take it up again. Jesus willingly went to the cross, willingly went to suffer, willingly took upon shame, willingly took upon God's wrath for us, unrighteous, sinful people who deserve his wrath. Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross and he willingly laid down in that tomb and our sin, if we believe in Jesus, is there in that tomb. It died with Jesus and Jesus rose and defeated our sin and provided a way in which our sin can be forgiven and that we could be reconciled to our creator so that we can join in on true worship only through Jesus only through Jesus can we truly worship right in light of a holy righteous God the only way we can join in and worship him is through the blood of Christ and friends be encouraged this morning if you are a Christian that there is therefore now no condemnation for you in Jesus and that you can boldly approach the throne. Boldly approach this creator, God, who's created you and I. But if you are not in Jesus, you are an enemy of God. So, the question I have this morning is, are you in Jesus? And if so, I pray that you're reminded once again just how mighty and wonderful this God is and if you're not again like I said earlier I pray that you would repent this day that you would fall on your face in light of God's holiness and your sinfulness and believe in Jesus and you blessed is, that, is those people the psalmist says that like you will experience something you'll experience new life 
And I think you'll even experience true happiness, a happiness that the world does not have to offer. Let me pray. Pray for us this morning as we close. Father, I pray that your word would have and has settled upon everyone's hearts who's here this morning, those who are going to listen to this either through live stream or in the coming weeks. I pray that people would come and and truly worship God this morning, that they would see that the only way that we can boldly approach a holy and righteous God is through the blood of Jesus, and that you demand of us and you call us to lay down our lives. That's the position you want us to be in. And so I pray that we would take steps to do that this morning. I pray for those who are here this morning. I have a heart for the people who are not saved this morning, oh God. You would save them. Bring them to yourself, oh Lord. In Jesus' name.
You ready to rock and roll? I think okay. so. Cool. Yeah. Um, let's see if I can navigate the microphone and my Bible. So let me ask you this. You asked at the beginning um, f if someone were to come to you and ask for you for a definition of worship, what would, what's your answer? That's a good, a good question. I think Turn uh, that around on you, preacher man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and if I didn't clearly answer that, I'm, I apologize. I think I would respond with um, God defines true worship as giving our lives to him and the way in which the only way we can give our lives and, and come before a holy and righteous God is through Christ. And so true worship is essentially placing our faith in Christ and living our lives for him. So I think just a living sacrifice, like my life is his. So that's kind of what I would define to be true worship. Yeah, and we even even our scripture reading this morning, John 4, those who worshiping were worshiping in spirit and truth. Right. And that's what he was doing. He was transforming her. Mm -hmm. She had been worshiping all kinds of other things. Yeah. And yeah. not one of those gods yeah. could come through, right? Right. Man yeah. after man, she's coming out in the heat of the day to the to the well because right. she doesn't want to deal with all the all the failure. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And uh, that's exactly where Jesus meets her and transforms her. Yeah. So so you know, yeah. it worked out kind of in God's plan there. Right. That, uh, I and think I those two connect together. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think one of the things I maybe forgot to mention was that God intends for something to happen to us when we truly worship him. Like, you know, we were created to worship for one. I don't want to keep preaching here, but we were created to worship. All of humanity was created to worship. And the problem with humanity is that we replace God with things, with things that aren't him. And that destroys our lives. And so when we come to God and we truly worship him, as he intends for us to worship, like we experience, I think, happiness. I think renewal. And I think, I think there's a transforming that happens. And that's exactly what Jesus was wanting for the Samaritan woman to say, hey, like these men who you've been, pursuing like they they just aren't gonna cut it you're gonna continue to be unsatisfied and god wants us to to be satisfied in him and we can only be truly satisfied in him alone so right that's true yeah we are all worshipers it's yeah. not a matter of if it's what right yeah and um yeah all right we have a, a question that came in via text what is the biblical definition of love hmm Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Hmm. I think if I was to, I, I can't, maybe you could think, I can't think of a passage that comes to my mind. I would just give you a general, a general idea of how I define biblical love. And I think the, I think one of the greatest illustrations for biblical love is actually a marriage covenant. And I think it's a, a, a covenant, essentially joining in um, with one another. There's certain things, there's requirements, there's vows that we, we swear, and I think the same thing goes with God, um, God's love towards humanity is like he's made a covenant with them, and he's going to remain faithful to that covenant regardless of circumstances, right? So I guess that, that would be my general sort of definition of, of love, biblical love. Sure, there's certainly the element of self-giving yeah. for the well-being of another, right? right. Yeah, and, and it is, it is um, yeah, I think you're right to to think of covenant keeping, you know, the word hesed in Hebrew is God's covenant keeping love, his mm -hmm. loving kindness, his faithfulness. I, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that that's probably the word that's used in verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, yeah. even as we hope in you. And that's, that. that is the hope that we have is that he is the covenant keeping God. He keeps yeah. his promises. Right, yeah. You know, and every single, you know, 
marriage is sealed with a covenant. Mm-hmm. God seals our salvation with a covenant. Right. That's why we are big on covenant church membership here mm-hmm. is because uh, every significant relationship is sealed with covenant. Yeah. And it's covenant that then sustains the love, right? And so. Yeah, uh, and I, th- I think the visible. It's a big question. Yeah, and I think the visible love of God is, is Christ himself, right? Is Jesus himself. That's what I said at the end. Literally, the love displayed of God is Jesus himself what he's done for us on our behalf like he came and did what we couldn't do he's rescued us that's god's love displayed i think yep so he keeps his he keeps his promises yeah. self-sacrificing of god yeah to keep his cut co- keep his promises mm-hmm. is at least part of it there's, there's a lot more that could be there yeah yeah all right how do we apply the promise that god will keep his people alive in famine uh, mm. that's verse 19 verse 18 and 19 i think go together Behold, the eye of the Lord is on him, mm-hmm. on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. So there it is, his covenant-keeping faithfulness. Yeah. That, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Mm. So, yeah, and actually I had a similar question, but peop- the people of God do die. They do yeah. starve. Yeah. So, so what do we make of that? Well, our promise isn't, God's ultimate promise isn't for us to live forever in this body, in this, in this time, right? God's promise to essentially escape famine is something that's futuristic, is the kingdom to come, not the kingdom that's here. And so I think that there are people who, who starve, <laughs> and even Christians around the world who starve, who go hungry, and who are in famine. And God, that's, that's, that's the problem with the prosperity gospel, right? Is that, you know, if, if you come to Jesus, your life's going to be all fixed and you're going to be wealthy and you're going to be your stomach's going to be full that's just not what jesus has promised for us but it does look like that's what's promised here yeah right so that's the tension right is yeah i think i think looking at further poking at you a little that's okay i think (laughs) i like it i think looking at the uh, we have to look we can't just take one verse and just say okay that's the the commandment of god i think we've got to do a biblical theology and look at the the overarching theme of scripture and so God hasn't given just us Psalm 33, right? He's given us all of his word. And so we've got to look at the bigger picture of the Bible. And I think the bigger picture of the Bible answers the question. goes beyond what. So right. I, yeah, I guess we, that's we how pass, I would respond. Maybe I'm wrong. through <laughs> death, through famine. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Uh, are there any, any, any questions that come up here in the room? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Stephen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would apply it to to those who are in political power. Um, so, I mean, rulers of nations like presidents, people who are in political influence, political power, people in government. And so that's how I would sort of understand those verses in terms of applying it for today. Um, does, that, does that answer your question? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, brother. Um, I guess you want to respond to the question so that people. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, how would you respond to someone who says, "Well, we can worship anywhere in nature. Mm. Why, why be in the church when you know all of life is worship?" Right. Know, What's I the point can, of church? I can worship on the golf course or while yeah. fishing or in the boat or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. why why is why should I gather for church if I can worship God anywhere? Right. Yeah. Um, there's a part. There's a sense in which. Um, there is a sense in which that, that there's some truthfulness to that, that claim, right? That when I'm out in creation, let's just say that the person who's talking specifically about maybe hiking or something like that, that I experience something magnificent, and that's God's creation. But the problem is, is that Romans 1 makes it exceedingly clear that when we worship the creation rather than the creator, like, we're, we're in error. And God has intended for us to come into direct communion with him by means of the assembly, by means of the gathering, like in person. Like that's why the gathering is so, so important is because this is the means in which God has said to come and worship me in. You know, just like the tabernacle or the, the, the Holy of Holies back in the Old Testament was the means in which God said to, to come and worship. Like the only way you can worship me is through this, um, or true worship, I guess. The, the same thing applies to the assembly today. And so that's why church is so important is because that's the means in which God has said to, jo- like, to come and worship me in. It doesn't mean that we can't experience um, a characteristic of God in nature or, or something like that, but the primary means in which we come and commune with God is through the assembly. Is there anything else? <laughs> I have a lot of things I'd love to say. I'm trying to decide if I should or not. <clears throat> you know, I, I just, you think back to the Garden of Eden when God created Adam. Mm. And it was just Adam and God and nature. Mm-hmm. And God said, it is not good that man should be alone, right? Mm. So God himself is a triunity. God has been in community. Mm-hmm. And the, the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son, loves the Father. And they've lived, and they, they go out of their way to, uh, to glorify one another. And so it's not just the, the man and woman. Um, th- there's a companionship. You know, there was a meant to be, their relationship with God was meant to be shared mm-hmm. horizontally. So I don't think it's just they can't procreate and fill the earth. I think it's that he, we're meant to be in companionship because God himself is in companionship. Yeah. And so, uh, so I think there's a lot that God is saying there that it was just he and God and no sin and nature. And that was not good. That was not enough. Like, yeah, w- it was good in the sense that that's a great place. We should all worship all the time. But mm-hmm. there's something about community um, that is uh, that is essential, and uh, that's why God wanted them to to fill the earth. Was that the whole earth would be a community of worshipers, hmm. not just individually, but together, right? And that's what the new heavens and new earth will be: hmm. is a community of worship worshipers gathered around the throne. So you don't see anyone in heaven that's just by themselves, right? Like you just <laughs> worshiping God by themselves. Yeah, they're together. And I, at the end of Psalm 33. Uh, the corporate nature of this is really important. Our soul waits for the Lord. Hmm. He is our help and our shield. Not mine, our, together. Which means that I'm not experiencing God totally as help and shield unless I'm doing it with someone, right? And that's why God gave us a church. Because our heart is glad in him. I don't know if you've ever thought of a church as having one heart. My heart's not my own. So if Dylan isn't worshiping, then my worship's incomplete because I'm in covenant relationship with him. And so 
Come on, Dylan. Let's worship the Lord together. Let us sing to him yeah. together. Um, so there's so much more glory and grace mm -hmm. to be had than just by myself. So I think it's both and, but anyway. Yeah, I, could so go, I could go on and on, and I could probably so find it on every page that, of yeah. the Bible. Of, that was so good. Yeah. Like it's, it's meant to be together. Right. So yeah. Um, one thing I noticed, and uh, unless there's other, is there other questions? Bring them on. Okay, I have one. I just want to point out one thing that just encouraged me as you were, um, as you were speaking. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. That's what the, what the psalmist is doing is a parallel, parallelism. He's saying the same thing in a different way, mm. which means our soul waiting for the Lord and our heart glad in him is the same thing. The Christian life is a lot about patience. We are not a patient people. Yeah. We want what we want now, the way we want it now. And there's a, there's a connection there. Our soul waits for the Lord, and our heart is glad in him. For he is our help and our shield, and we trust in his holy name. Let your covenant-keeping love, your steadfast love, O oh God, be upon us, because we don't see all the way you're keeping your promises yet, but we're willing to wait and be glad in the waiting because you are so good. So what a wonderful psalm, and what a great thing that Jesus opens that up to us. Mm -hmm. We have no right to that in and of ourselves, but Jesus is the key to the door that brings us into that kind of hope with God. So, yeah. All right, that's my mini-sermon. I couldn't help. <laughs> no, it's good. There's so much to talk about. It was hard for me to drill down. Anything else? Okay. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. What a wonderful psalm. Far less scary than last week's psalm. We'll be in Psalm chapter 22 next Sunday, which is the My God, My God, Why Have You Forsaken Me psalm. So it'll be an interesting contrast to today's psalm. If you would please stand, let's receive our benediction today from 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. And if there is, a, if there is anything that we can do to serve you or pray for each other, I encourage you to fellowship, uh, maybe go outside kind of in the courtyard area there and fellowship out there. Don't run off too quickly. Connect with somebody. Um, and if you're, um, if you're dealing with something in your life or you have some questions about Christianity or you want to put your faith in Christ or be baptized or uh, join this church, any of those things, let me know. Let, let any other person in this room know. We would love to help you. Um, the Lord is our help and our shield, and so we want to be a part of that with you. We want to be a part of that with you. Of, uh, so, so talk with someone today. Our benediction is 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.